Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We're going to talk some USC football. Lots been going on around the USC Trojans. Turning it around. Six wins in a row. Of course, a big win up against number four Washington up in Seattle. We wanted to talk with Dan Weber, who we were both up there sitting next to each other in the press box, taking it all in. We got a lot of questions uh, for from you about the game about what the future is for this program, the bowl projections, all that kind of stuff. So we'll talk about all of that today on the show. You can go to our website, peristylepodcast.com, for all of our contact information. Uh, you guys are sending in a lot of questions, so I think you guys know it. But go to peristylepodcast.com. Uh, lots of information there if you want to email the show or call the show. Of course, subscribe on iTunes, itunes.com, slash peristylepodcast. Uh, that's a direct link to our show. Please leave a five-star rating. Any kind of uh, positive feedback, we love it. So please do that. All right, well, let's bring in uh, Dan Weber because we got a lot to get to. What is up, Dan? How are you? Doing good. Uh, probably, uh, I, I don't know if we're all in a place where we didn't expect to be, but uh, I guess to start with, we probably didn't expect not so much USC to be where it is, where it is, but the next two weeks, uh, who would have guessed UCLA and Notre Dame? I mean, if you go back to the end of September, if we'd have guessed all those things would have happened, uh, that's not even, I think, remotely possible that that combination of, of things would have gotten us to, uh, here, where we are in November. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I was just trying to think, uh, thinking back what we were talking about. After USC was one and three and I, you know, Clay Helton was one and five as the permanent head coach at the time. And so there wasn't a lot of optimism there. Um, and certainly, you know, Sam Darnold taking over, uh, made a big difference, but there was a lot of other things too. Um, you know, I, you felt like he certainly could get better as learning on the job and, and, you know, turning things around, but I'm not sure I, ex- I mean, I definitely didn't expect or even think it was possible for this kind of turnaround where they could literally run the table after starting off one and three. Yeah, or going 0 and 2 in the Pac 12 and finishing 7 and 2. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't know. That's probably not happened very often where a team could lose the first two games in the Pac 12 season and win the last seven. Uh, that, you know, just that stuff doesn't always happen. I think that in looking back, uh, and a lot of people were really jumping off the, you know, whatever bandwagon there was or jumping off the, you know, the clay wagon. Uh, I don't think I ever did only because the kids didn't ever seem, you know, to abandon him. I mean, they came out and did everything but win the, uh, Utah game when they decided this is how we're going to go. And, uh, you know, there were some mistakes there, players and coaches. But it was obvious they didn't think, you know, that this was a team that couldn't win any game that went out on, you know, on the field. And uh, that's proved to be true. I mean, that was, you know, they were clearly uh, better than Utah. And the sense that 
if they keep playing, uh, they might be better than anybody they played. You know, the whole question with the Washington game was, you know, they're playing, Washington is playing awfully efficiently. They're just hitting teams at exactly the right time. But do they have enough, you know, and people, you know, denigrate having talent and that it's more about, you know, performing and executing and all of that. But uh, I guess my question is always, um, do did, did Washington really have enough talent? Uh, enough players to compete with USC if USC showed up ready to play. And I think we got the answer that, that they didn't, they, you know, and that, uh, you know, Jake Browning head to head with, uh, you know, with, with Sam Darnold was, was a mismatch, you know, that one kid was ready to, you know, handle the, you know, the pressure and the, all of the, you know, everything that went with that game and, and, and one wasn't. And, uh, you know, it was a it was a tough game. I mean, in some ways, it may have been more difficult for Washington to perform at home uh, with that crowd and those expectations and the national attention and all of that than it was for USC just to go in there and play. And uh, you just never know how those things are going to go out. How comfortable, though, USC felt and played is pretty amazing. I mean, that's a lot of that is a tribute to, you know, to Sam, obviously, but a lot of it is a tribute to guys like Michael Hutchins who are holding that uh, defense together. And he's finally getting his chance to, you know, have one of those moments uh, after, you know, four years at USC. And there are just so many people, you know, you can credit and Clancy Pendergast and uh, defense really figuring it all out. But uh, pretty amazing stuff and uh, not completely unexpected when you saw how things were going, it's just you never should expect to win a game like that in a place like that uh, uh, when you're just getting it going. You know, eventually you hope the program gets back to where they go into games like that and just say, you know, here we are. Uh, you're not as good as we are, and we're going to play, uh, you know, our A game, and, and that's it. But uh, I thought the other thought was so interesting is, the Washington fans, as loud as they got at times, I think seemed kind of resigned to the fact that they got better players than we we do. You know, they're bigger, they're stronger. Uh, you know, and they got a guy like you know Darnold. When you have a quarterback that can execute the way he can, it's really tough on the other team because they can't get to him, they can't sack him, uh, and he almost welcomes pressure because he gets pressure and that gets him a chance to, to, uh, you know, run outside, roll outside of the pocket and find one of those wide receivers who, once the play breaks down, they really start running for open spaces with the thought that Sam will find us, A, and he'll get the ball to us. And that's something that wasn't happening at USC. Uh, you didn't get the benefit from the quarterback extending plays, running the, running for first downs, or extending plays and finding that open wide receiver. Very often, you know, last year you had wide receivers who didn't continue their routes because they were sure the ball wasn't coming to them. Uh, that doesn't happen now. Wide receivers on a, on a busted play, they're flying trying to get open because it will come to them. Well, we want to talk about the game. We want to get to a bunch of questions. Of course, uh, USC played great. And, uh, 
you got to take your hat, you know, tip your cap to Clay Helton, who many of us said, yeah, this isn't looking so good. And they're looking pretty darn good now. So, um, we're going to talk about all that, but I wanted to thank uh, our sponsor for the Peristyle podcast. And, uh, Dan, it's funny. When we, when we go out, it's, it's amazing the number of people that come up to me or I'm sure come up to you. Hey, I uh, love your stuff. Love listening to the podcast. And the most, uh, common thing is like, you talk about your underwear a lot on the, <laughs> and that's our sponsor, Mac Weldon, which I'm, and I'm wearing them right now. Uh, so basically, yes, I talk about underwear sometimes here on the podcast, but it's Mac Weldon. Uh, it's basically better underwear than what you're wearing right now. It's great stuff. I've loved it since, uh, they've jumped on board the Peristyle podcast and I got to, uh, try out their stuff. Uh, they have real smart design, uh, premium fabrics and very simple shopping. Uh, so you just go on their website. You can see it's very, uh, easy to, uh, organize your thoughts and figure out what you want to get and where you want to go with it. The products are pretty simple to, to understand. Uh, it's going to be the most comfortable underwear, socks, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants you're ever going to wear. Um, and the silver underwear, uh, it's a line of silver underwear that have, uh, natural antimicrobial, uh, uh, fabrics in there. So it does basically eliminates odor. So you're going to try those out too. Uh, they're very comfortable. And uh, if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it and they will still refund your money. No questions asked. Uh, not only does Mac Eld- Mac Weldon underwear, socks and shirts look good, but they perform well too. So I use it all the time when I do my, uh, go to the gym or go play volleyball. So go to MacWeldon.com. You'll get 20% off using the promo code Peristyle. So that's MacWeldon.com and then go use the promo code Peristyle and you'll get 20% off. And then I'm sure Dan, I'll get more people coming up to me saying, Hey, you're talking about your underwear again. Well, I like it the way you say antimicrobial. That's uh, I'm very impressed with that. I hope I pronounced that right, man. I just you know. I think there's... so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, actually, we were, you know, trying to get through the stands uh, uh, in these games uh, in stadiums, especially the older ones. Uh, the elevator only goes so, uh, so far, and then you got to work your way through the stands. And and the other night, that was a case of uh, there were a lot of people going the other direction with five minutes to go, uh, and there were people stopping. As we were going through, and, and we had kind of been given bad information on what aisle to get us down to the field, so we had to cut through the stands, and people had to let us go through. And there were actually people stopping me and saying, <laughs> "I love the podcast, thanks." <laughs> and it was, you know, you, we were in a Washington section, so uh, but the USC fans were moving down toward the uh, toward the field, but uh, that's pretty neat, you know. People just tell you you get on a plane and. Say they listen to the podcast, so uh, that's really cool. Thank yeah, it's, it's funny, like because it's that's an obviously this is audio, but we do a lot of videos too. So if you're on the site, um, but people will come up to us all the time, and uh, I we uh, Sonia and I, Sonia helped us out uh, with filming up in Washington because uh, Keely had a wedding to go to, so she's filled in, and people would just come up to me all the time. Oh, hey, I'm a member, or oh, I listen to the podcast, and they they start talking to you like. They know, you know, they know who you are, but I have no, I'm like, well, hi, my name's Ryan. What's your name? Like they don't even say their name sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Just come yeah, up to they, you and start they're talking. They're so familiar and, and that's really cool. Yeah. And, uh, you do have to, you know, say, you know, now tell me your name and, and where are you from and all that. But, uh, well, I mean, I, I'll, I'll just very quickly, the neatest moment I still remember, man, it was a long time ago. It was that Oregon game and, uh, gosh, which game, which Oregon game was it? Uh, not even sure which Oregon game was it, like four or five years ago. And uh, standing at the uh, airport in Portland, I guess, and there were, you know, like 
15 people ahead of me and a, a bunch of people behind me. And I realized that the guy standing in front of me is Gary Barnett, the North, Northwestern coach who coached the Rose Bowl team against USC. And then he went to Colorado, I guess. Yeah. And then he's doing ESPN and he's standing there and about a half dozen USC fans come walking up and it, they walk down the, uh, the line and it looks like they're coming up to him <laughs> and they go right past Gary Barnett and say, are you Dan Weber? <laughs> you know, <don't> I? <laughs> Gary Barnett's head spun around like, who's this guy? <laughs> you know, but it was typical USC fans that they wanted to talk about the game and, uh, and they know you because they, you know, they see us on the, uh, you know, on the instant analysis, and it's uh, it's pretty cool because they do really feel like they they really know you. Yeah, it's pretty fun. So it's it's part of the when whenever we travel or you go any kind of USC event, obviously, but just traveling around because there's diehard fans and they they know who we are. So that's kind of cool. So thanks to everyone that does that. We do. Yeah, don't don't feel you know. But if you come up to us, hey, my name's Joe or whatever. Like we don't know who you are. So otherwise. Um, well, let's, let's start talking about the game, Dan. We have a lot of questions to get to. People obviously wrote in furiously after, uh, the game or during the game. Sometimes they're writing, uh, sometimes nice things, sometimes complaining, whatever, but they love to, to kind of get their questions in early. So I'll try to get to them all. We have Eric in Duck Country. He said, it looks like Port Augustine is finally becoming the player everyone thought he would be what caused the turnaround thanks for everything and beat the Bruins Eric in duck country I just think it's it's kind of that natural you know growing into you know both your body I mean the kid's six five two seventy and I think you know uh, when you put it on that kind of mus- muscle mass and it takes a little learning and what I noticed the other day and this is what you like so much about him coming out of high school is a really good baseball player and a really good basketball player was his, you know, all around athleticism. I think he, he got a little stiff and, and, and sometimes that happens for, you know, younger players. But what I saw, uh, Saturday, it was just so obvious was his flexibility, his ability to go around the corner and still come back and make a play with a dive or with an arm or with a grab. It just looks like the kind of thing that it just happens. And yet he's still, you know, big and strong enough to just set the edge, and he can just stand there and say, "Come on, get me." And uh, and uh, I was talking to him after the game, and I guess uh, Washington tried all kinds of different ways to block him. I mean, they were doing, you know, moving the tight end and over and chipping him with the, you know, whatever they could do, they were trying to do it, and without a, a great deal of success. But I think. He's learned how to make plays. He's become a playmaker, and that's that's what you want out of a you know a young kid. The, the light bulb goes on, and he realizes, okay, if I do this, I can do this, I can do this, and he learns how to make his body get to where he needs to make it get. Um, let's see. Yeah, with uh, there's a lot of Port Augustine questions, so it's interesting to see you know? his progression. You know, Dan, and that's uh, you know it's good for him, obviously. Uh, having that kind and of success. He, he looks like a, and he sounds like a football. After the game, he sounds like no longer a sophomore. He, he just sounds like, you know, this is what, this is what you work for. This is what you expect. This is what, you know, who you are. And, uh, you know, he just, 
he's really grown up fast this year, and I'm really impressed. I think we were probably expecting more than we should have ever expected from him. We got Dan getting phone calls over there on the podcast. Yeah, I'm getting phone calls <laughs> on the other end of the of the house here. <laughs> it uh, does happen. We you always get somebody uh, who calls right when you're uh, you're doing the podcast. Yeah. So I don't know. There's some kind of a a weird uh, a natural law that works out like that. Yeah. Well, let's jump on. Uh, Phil wrote in said aloha, aloha Phil. Uh, really glad we fought. Uh, we found our tight end. What took so long? Um, secondly, I was not very supportive of Coach Helton, but now I'm I'm impressed. What happened, and has the recent success changed the outlook for Coach Helton? Thanks from Phil. Oh, absolutely. I don't, you know, no question about that. You know, the way they were one and three, and a non-competitive one. You know, well, at least in two of those. And, and, and a confused looking. Now, the three, once they, that third loss didn't give you a bad feeling. The third loss was, gosh, we should have won this. Uh, we're better than this. But there were some, you know, good things that came out of that. But, uh, um, yeah, I think there's, there's no chance that, um, that this isn't going to, you know, keep, keep happening. Because I think one of the things that's benefited everybody at USC at this point is, What's happened at Notre Dame and and UCLA with two veteran, you know, high profile, you know, coaches and and well established programs, and you see, wow, look at what what they're going through. Uh, you know, it it probably made it a little bit easier to you know to kind of pick up on, uh, on you know on on Clay uh, and say, well, it probably isn't easy. Uh, having never been a head coach, and, and again, it wasn't his fault. He, you know, he was who he was, and, and they offered him the job, and of course you're going to take it. Uh, but he had to learn on, you know, Ed Orgeron talks about it. it, took him three years at Ole Miss to learn how to be a head coach, and I think he showed that at USC, and he's showing that at, at LSU. And Clay didn't have the benefit of three years. You know, he, he barely had the benefit of three games. And uh, that's what makes this pretty impressive. And, yeah, they benefited from some, uh, you know, Pac-12 teams that can't play defense, uh, you know, and catching them in a row. At the same time, they got Sam Darnold. I mean, that that combination of things just made, you know, made this especially, uh, you know, good for that. That you know made October just, you know, the perfect storm for USC uh, to have those things go together at the same time. And and Clay didn't, you know, he he. He made the changes he had to make. Uh, he didn't, you know, give up on, on, uh, the way they go about it in practice. And, you know, even, you know, people like me who might, you know, second guess at times some of the intensity and all that. You can see it, it's coming around that they are, the players themselves are learning how to practice themselves and practice against one another. And, uh, and they're, they're definitely preparing themselves for games and, and, you know, they're being physical in games and they, you know, they may not practice with physicality of the kind where you're hitting, knocking people down and taking them to the ground, but they are challenging one another in practice and they are playing with, you know, at a, at a really good close to game tempo. And you don't see them now getting into games where it doesn't look like they're ready to play faster or play stronger or tougher. And that tells you practice. They're doing what this team needs to do 
in practice to get ready for games. So, uh, so I think, uh, you know, all the kudos you can give to Clay Helton for, uh, for what he's done and how he stuck with it and the players stuck with him. And they all seem to understand this is who we are. This is how we do things. And, uh, he says that's what they're going to do the rest of the year. Just, you know, practice every day, fundamentally sound, total emphasis on situational football and being ready for all the situations you can possibly be ready for. And, uh, you know, they, they bought in and I like it that they, they stop the noise except for, you know, simulating crowd noises. Uh, it's a, it's kind of a quiet place and it's a place for, you know, serious, you know, business-like approach. And, uh, and Clay got that right. Let's go on to Jamal. He said, Hey, Ryan and Dan, enjoyable game. Well, I'm glad you like it, Jamal. <laughs> I hope that after people marvel at the level these boys are playing at, they also see the evolution of leadership. This was a well-managed game from Clay Helton's strategically called timeouts, Clancy's sound and suffocating scheme defensively, T's uh, dedication to the run game, helping the play-action pass game dominate the middle of the field, and Baxter's special teams that have become a positive X factor for the Trojans. They are developing this roster, Jamal and San Diego. He seems pretty happy. Well, he ought to be. And I think the, one of the other things you notice now, as you look at the sideline, and you think, wow, what was it like in September when it looked like, you know, uh, let's see, how an ethnically inappropriate fire drill uh, on the sideline. Uh, and now they look calm and collected, and Clay has developed this demeanor where, you know, we got this figured out and we know when to call the timeouts and all of that. Well, that wasn't where they were in September. I mean, it didn't look like, you know, that anybody was on the same page with anybody. Uh, so they've come a long way in terms of, you know, just a, a comfort level with who they are, what they're doing. I thought the timeouts were, were managed well, used strategically. Uh, you know, just, there's just a, a, you know, a kind of a single mindedness and everybody on the same page at the same place. And that's pretty, uh, that's pretty cool. You know, they, they seem to really, I mean, Think of the substitution problems they were having and all of that. You're not seeing that anymore at all. I mean, this is a team that's really, they, they're where they need to be. Uh, they definitely are. Um, Stephen Poway wrote in. He said, I tuned in to Saturday night's USC-Washington game to watch a top four Heisman candidate play, and it was great to watch. But in the end, I actually thought there were three, not one, uh, Heisman candidates uh, and they are in this order, Dory Jackson, Sam Darnold, and John Ross. He goes, apologies to Browning, uh, who may have been having a bad night, but he just looked so, quote-unquote, pedestrian on Saturday night. My question is, is it too early for Sam Darnold to be considered a Heisman candidate? Um, I'll give you a quick one on that. Yes, for this year. not No, for next year. Uh, and is it too late for a Dory? Uh, yes. <laughs> we'll get your answer on that though. Dory's lights out and bordering on superhuman Saturday night. And I love Sam's quick release with the ball. He throws ropes to his receivers and love the way he scrambles. Finally, his linebacker mentality is awesome and so fun to watch. Congrats to the entire team. Fight on from Stephen Poway. Figure, get your thoughts on that, Dan. Yeah, I think, I think the, uh, Sam Darnold Heisman campaign, however, has started for next year. I don't think yeah. there's any question. That's one of the advantages of playing in that game. 
where the East Coast can watch you. It, it mattered. You know, all the people whose teams had lost, everybody, you know, that game mattered. You know, Washington mattered. Uh, people came out to write, you know, and, and, and report about, you know, Washington and, and Jake Browning. And they said, whoa, what are we seeing here? Because a lot of those people haven't probably really seen Sam Darnold. Uh, and now they have. And you know where this is going to go uh, for next year. I don't think there's any, you know, any question about how, how this is going to go. So, so for next year, yes, it has. Uh, for Adoree, if Adoree would choose to stay, it might start for him as well. But I don't know that any of us really think that's going to happen. But, uh, yeah, yes, he could have, if Adoree stayed, they could have a couple of Heisman candidates in the early going, uh, for 2017. Yeah, I mean, the Heisman, a lot of it has to do with winning. You can't start off one and three and then expect someone to come and be a, a candidate. Um, someone like Leonard Fournette could have, be, you know, when they had a slow start, just because he had some history there, there was no history for Sam Darnold. So this is really him making this great run at the end of the season sets him up as an early uh, Heisman contender next year. And for Dory Jackson, if you're going to be a defensive player, he would have had to play a lot more offense than he has. I mean, sometimes he comes in, gets one or two plays. He's a decoy. Um, you know, he's, he'll have pretty good defensive stats and like, you, that's fine, but you need to do other stuff in the return game. So he gets, you know, returns for touchdowns, which is good. You probably need a couple more of those, but also, you know, getting more touches on offense. So he has the potential to do something like that. And he has a name and people know who he is, but you know, this year with the slow start, it's not going to happen. If they make a if for some reason he came back and they made a run next year, uh, he could get in the mix, but he would have to play more off. In my opinion, he has to play more offense and things like that. I mean, I'm, I'm a voter. And it's, if, if it's a defensive player, like when they were talking about Manti Teo a few years ago, I mean, he had seven picks. That was his like big stat, but he, he didn't even score any touchdowns or anything. And you know, he doesn't do anything else. So I, I, to me, it was all his story, which ended up being false, was the reason why he was there. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't think a Dory would be a candidate at this point. He would have to do a lot more on offense. Yeah. Now, if he came back next year and they decided they wanted him to be a candidate and decided they're going to throw the ball to him three or four times a game, they're going to let him run it, you know, four or five times a game, then he becomes a candidate. Uh, but USC would, you know, two things would have to happen. He has to come back, one. And two, USC would have to make that decision. And then even if you do that with Sam Darnold, they're probably not going to let you have two. Uh, you know, it just, it just doesn't happen. But, you know, you could, you could do that. And I think Michigan has decided to do that with Jabril, you know, Peppers and, and, and Michigan has a history of, you know, having done that. Uh, but if you wanted to, you could, but, uh, a lot of things would have to happen. Yeah. Um, let's go to Tarek. He said, we're seeing Cam Smith and Port Augustine become superstars. Do you think John Houston joins the ranks next year? I think, you know, they, they figure out exactly how to use him where, you know, he looks like he's going to stay slim. I don't, and I'm not real optimistic that he ever gets a much, you know, more than 215. Uh, you know, they've made that work for a 220 pound Michael Hutchings as a senior. Uh, but it'll, you know, and I think that's one of the, the things that, that Clancy does so well is he gears the defense 
and, and the ability to change it week to week to what his players can do. And so I would expect them to, you know, to figure out exactly where, you know, you're going to lose both uh, Michael and, uh, and Quentin Powell, you know, so where does that, you know, how do you, you maybe figure out that, that, that you put John in, in some role that, that combines, uh, what both of those guys do. Uh, but, uh, he, he, he's got a lot of, he can really run. He can really, he's quick. He can run. He's done, you know, a great job on special teams. Uh, so, so I think there's, you have to be optimistic that they'll figure out what the best way to use him next year. All right, let's uh, move on. Let's see. Our next question is coming from our buddy Dan, class of 1962. He said, the defensive effort against a superb Washington offense was the best I have seen from USC since 2008 during the Pete Carroll era. Uh, they applied consistent pressure and mixed up their fronts and coverages and played tough. I was especially impressed with the spread, uh, the, excuse me, the speed at which they played and how they swarmed to the ball carriers. I haven't seen gang tackling like that in years. Also impressed that the offensive line was staying on blocks, thus allowing Darnold time to make decisions. This was truly a team effort. Uh, for all of us doubters, Clay Helton and his staff showed us that they're the real deal when it comes to big time collegiate coaching. I'm anxious to hear the assessment of the game by you, Dan. Uh, and how this uh, improvement is helping 2017 recruiting. Fight on, Dan, in the class of 1962. Yeah, I mean, I think that's been their theory here, that uh, to uh, just coach the heck out of them, get them back going in the right direction, and let the recruiting take care of itself in terms of, you know, uh, you're getting to play your, your rivals, you're getting to play, you know, I mean, just think of a, a run where you – you can beat Oregon and Washington and UCLA and Notre Dame. I mean, I think you, you think at that point that it's positive enough that, uh, that that really plays into your recruiting. But I always thought that this year was, uh, you know, the thought was let's get it done right on the field and let that, you know, uh, kind of lead the recruiting. And, uh, you know, we haven't had it. I guess USC said they haven't. Well, they haven't. There haven't been any uh, uh, commitments until then. The Jack Sears one, and so uh, let me get the. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> Turn that off, Dan. <laughs> uh, the, the the Jack. I I hit it on the other side there, but the uh, I think the Jack Sears uh, commitment kind of is an indication of how this plays out and where it goes. Uh, the negative there might be that's a sense that, uh, uh, you're, uh, you're not going to get, uh, uh, Sam for more than another year. Uh, so there can be a downside there, but yeah, we're, we'll have, um, Gerard on. I think we're going to try and get him on again this week. Cause there's a lot of recruiting questions coming in and we've talked about this constantly that this was a recruiting class that was going to depend on the season and just depending on how the season went is that's how the direction of the class would go and now you're seeing what this team is and they're they're one of the hot you know one of the hottest teams in the country uh they could close out with eight nine ten wins in a row or something crazy you pick up jack sears i think it's going to be you're going to see a few of those three-star guys falling off and 
four or five star guys taking their place. And that's because of the way the season went. So we've been kind of saying that all along, but it looks like that's the way it's going, Dan. Yeah, and they've got a chance, you know, whether they get to the conference championship, you know, game or not, they need a couple of things obviously to go their way. Colorado's got to lose, Utah's got to lose, they got to beat UCLA. Uh, but they still could end up, you know, as a top 10 team in a major bowl that we weren't even thinking about. So, you know, there is, there is, there's really some upside to the way this season could finish, uh, especially against some of the teams. USC recruits, you know, against Notre Dame at times and UCLA at times and uh, Washington at times and Oregon at times. And if you could end up with boom, 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 uh, I know we know kids that don't make uh, their decisions, you know, completely on who beats who. It doesn't hurt. doesn't hurt at all. And with a new coach, it helps tremendously for people to think, okay, these guys are heading in the right direction. I, you know, you're in on the ground floor. This is a good time to be there, I think, because uh, in so many ways, USC recruits itself. As long as, the, you know, the, the program isn't in just complete disarray. I mean, USC's recruited pretty well, even at times where, when it's in disarray. Uh, so if it looks like, boy, they're on a roll, uh, the, that's, that's how you do it. And I don't know that they absolutely decided in September that, <laughs> This is what we have to do. I think they decided this is what we have to do because this is what we have to do. Get it right on the field. Yeah. Get everything going together. Um, you know, figure out what's the best thing for this, this team to do. But knowing in the back, you know, the back of their minds, if we do that, these other things will take care of themselves. We got Steven San Diego. He said, uh, this week of upsets started on Tuesday night. Uh, many see the election of the Teflon Don as an FU to the establishment, big business, and the media. I put to you, podcast crew, SC sent an even bigger FU to Larry Scott and the Pac-12 establishment by knocking off Washington. Karma has come back to haunt them for turning their backs on USC during the NCAA witch hunt. Would you agree? Thanks again for all you guys do. And uh, you're the best in the business. Great win. Back Back to work. We need to finish with three more. Fight on Trojans, Steve in San Diego. Steve, I, I think we're never going to know the whole story. Uh, from the inside of the Pac-12, you always heard, oh, yeah, we really wanted to help. We really wanted to say thing, say something, but USC didn't want us to. Now, that's not impossible to believe because USC didn't want to. I mean, if they didn't want to say anything, uh, the Pac-12, you, you can't blame them for not being like the SEC or the Big Ten where they would have, you know, circled the wagons and protected one of their own when that one of their own said, oh, we don't want to be protected, just let us, you know, twist in the wind. And unfortunately, that seemed to be the decision. So I'm never going to be, you know, down on the, necessarily on the Pac-12 for that. Since I, you know, have been told that, yes, we would have, whether they really would have, whether they would have gone to the, you know, the extent that, you know, the SEC or the Big Ten would have gone to protect the team that they thought was being treated unfairly, I don't know. Uh, but I do think it was that, you know, big middle finger to the, uh, you know, the, the Pac-12. And I, I give the Pac-12 credit. That officiating crew, they came in there and they just called. They got to give, give credit to Terry Layden uh, uh, out of Denver as the referee. They came in and they called it as they saw it. They saw it right. They didn't get, you know, overly, you know, 
didn't you didn't get a sense that they had a dog in the fight or that the Pac-12 had a dog in the fight and they were trying to, you know, I mean, I, I've always thought, for example, the SEC had better officials, but there were times with games like that in the SEC, if you were the underdog, you'd be screaming at them saying, what are you doing? And they'd say, you know what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing it, you know. We and, and they'd look at you like, you know, so that's just the way it is. Uh, I didn't get any sense of that. Uh, I was, I, I mean, I can't say enough good things about it, that Pac-12 crew that officiated that game. So, so that's you know, give the give the league credit for that. But yeah, I think it probably turns out to be kind of a big, you know, uh, and yet, let's face it. Say Washington wins their next two games, and you know, uh, I don't, and 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 comes out in the top four, you know, if they got matched up with Alabama uh, in that first game of the playoffs, they're better off not having, not doing that. Because uh, if you looked at them against USC, you just could imagine how that game would have turned out if that's Alabama over there. So, I mean, they just don't have the athletes in any way to compete with Alabama. So it might be not the worst thing in the world that, that they're not going on to the playoffs. Although, who knows? Everybody keeps losing. I mean, there are people who figured out ways that Washington still could get into the playoffs. I'm not sure. I'm Washington. I want that. But anyway. Uh, we got Big Nick. Uh, he says, this is Nick from Cyprus. Big Nick 21 USC from the Peristyle. First and foremost, it's great to be a Trojan fan today. Total 180 from the Alabama-USC game nine weeks ago or so. Fight on. By the way, I did call it. USC would beat Washington, and they did it soundly. Question, what happened Saturday? Was Washington overrated, or did USC's talent just show up in a big way and beat Washington? I think the latter of the two. Your opinion? I love what you guys do. I think both. I mean, I think USC clearly had better players. Uh, and they certainly look as well. They actually, I mean, they were better prepared for that game than Washington was. And Washington has been showing up week after week and just far better, uh, prepared than the people they were playing. And in a league that doesn't play a lot of defense, uh, that was all they had to do. And they were just, you know, Jake Browning was throwing touchdown passes to guys that are 20 yards in the open time and time again. And the only time that happened was when, you know, Dory fell down. Uh, USC didn't give them anything. Well, they've been going week after week where teams were giving them everything. And then they hit a team that, you know, wasn't giving them anything. And I think it was hard for Washington. Those kids realized, you know, their center actually had a good game according to Pro Football Focus. And yet, uh, Stevie Tui Kalavati took him into the back. I mean, like he was on roller skates. I mean, he just said, okay, I'm going to take you and push you as far back as fast as I can. Uh, they couldn't block Porter Gustin. They couldn't block Echetta. Uh, they couldn't block, Rashawn, you know, Green. Uh, they couldn't block Michael Hutchings. And it just, you know, you go on and Cam Smith, you go on and on. And USC won all those kind of individual matchups and just seemed much more prepared to play their game than Washington was to play their game. And I think it, it, it illustrated that Jake Browning may not have the physical tools you know, the size, the speed, the strength, the arm, uh, you know, to succeed against a really good defense, a really physical defense that uh, can pretty much take away 
everybody but Ross. I mean, USC pretty pretty much took away everybody. Their running backs and all their receivers except for Ross. And that gave them, you know, one thing they could do, but that wasn't enough, you know, to beat USC in, in that game. They didn't USC didn't give them any uh, any returns, which they've been beating teams badly on. Uh, USC, I thought was in you know, really you know well prepared there. Um, uh, I just think in every facet of the game, USC was better. They were better coached, better prepared, and totally unfazed by playing in that environment. And it might be the fact that they've already done it once, you know, or twice if you count Utah. But you know, the Alabama game and then the uh, uh, the the Utah game. And I thought USC was extremely well prepared, you know, for that game. With more, if you if you're that well prepared with a game plan that clearly works and, uh, you know, you guys just show up and are not phased at all, you're going to win. That's what happened. Certainly did. Uh, let's see. We got Steve. He said, as I checked the AP rankings this week, I was shocked to see that Washington only fell three spots to number seven. Um, did anyone who was voting for the AP actually watch last Saturday's game? If so, they may have seen a USC team dominating Washington in all phases and a top four Heisman Trophy candidate licking his wounds on the turf in his own end zone. USC is now ranked behind two of the three teams that beat handily in Colorado and Washington. Do you think USC would be ranked higher relative to both teams today if they had scored touchdowns against them in the last seconds of each of their respective games rather than letting up and running out the clock? Is this part of Clay's learning curve as a new head coach? Remember how Pete Carroll changed his philosophy about playing the quote-unquote rankings game after being edged out of the BCS championship game in 2003, having to rely on a final AP vote to claim his first championship trophy. I think I recall him saying something like, just when games and everything will work itself out, which uh, which was true until it didn't. Thanks uh, from Steve. Let's see. I know for sure one AP voter did because uh, uh, he covers USC. Uh, I haven't checked where he voted USC this week. Uh, he, he has not been voting USC in the top 25. So, uh, uh, and I don't know that anybody in the Pac-12 has been voting USC in the top 25. So, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a joke. I mean, if you look, I would say in the AP, uh, you could pick 10 opponents ranked higher than USC. And I guarantee you, if you said to those voters, USC is going to play this team, and you're going to have to bet your house. Who do you bet it on? You know they're going to bet it on USC. Come on. I mean, it's just just a stupid game. Uh, I do think it makes the case that Juju, I'm going to say this about a thousand times until everybody agrees with me, Juju should not have taken a knee on that last play. They should have beaten Oregon, I mean, excuse me, uh, uh, Colorado 28-17. to People are still looking at that 21-17 score and say, ooh, Colorado probably should have won that game. They don't check the stats. They don't check anything. They just say, oh, yeah, or, you know, Colorado. You know, Colorado was, you know, USC turned the ball over and kept them in the game. But USC dominated that Colorado game, and uh, the score should have looked more like it. But uh, but that's what happens when you, uh, you know, make games look closer and people don't do their homework, obviously. But, yeah, how do you – how do you have two teams that USC's beaten uh, ranked ahead of them? But then look at the ESPN Pac-12 bloggers. I mean, there's like five or six of them who do nothing but cover the Pac-12, and they have USC ranked fifth in the Pac-12 this week behind, you know, 
behind Colorado, behind Washington. Um, and they've got ranked number one, Washington State, a team that, A, had, has lost to FCS school, Eastern Washington, a team that will not play luck of the draw. They won't play either Utah or USC. And they have yet to play Washington and Colorado. How in the world can you rank Washington State as the number one team in the Pac-12? That's just insanity. I mean, we don't know. We have no idea. Uh, but there's the ESPN Pac-12 crew uh, almost embarrassing themselves and then saying, if you don't like where you're ranked, play better. This is after USC's beaten, you know, both Washington and uh, Colorado. I mean, what are they, what are they supposed to do? But it's just it, it, almost insane to say that USC is the number five team in the Pac-12 this week. That's just, that's crazy. Yeah, we're gonna. I would, you know, we do our podcast of champions, Dave Woods and I. Um, we haven't discussed the the rankings yet, but I I believe we'll have USC number one. Um, yeah, it's a power. I mean, I, that's I don't our think power. Any other choice? Yeah, it's a power ranking. So yes, they're they've lost you know games early, but it's about. Who's the most powerful team? At one time, you know, we had USC number 12. So after they were one and three, we said they were the worst team in the Pac-12. And now we're saying they're the best team in the Pac-12, you know? Okay. But they are. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, they're way closer to the number one team than they are to the number five team. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's a, how do you even, what are you thinking when you say, yeah, they deserve to be ahead of Colorado and Washington? You think, what? I mean, I don't even think the Utah folks completely believe that Utah should be ahead of USC right now. I mean, if you saw that game, you knew who was the better team. You, you know, Utah caught them in the last 16 seconds uh, thanks to some gifts, but that easily could have been a two, three touchdown USC win. And um, so, I mean, it just, people just don't get it, unfortunately. And, and you can't, I mean, I like what Washington State's doing, but, you can't make them number one. They can't even play the other four good teams. How could you, you know, they still have to play two of them, and they're going to miss two of them. How can you possibly make them number one? Yeah. You have no idea. And they've two years in a row, they've lost to an FCS school to start the season, and it's just like, I said that very at the beginning, like on our podcast of champions, that can only hurt the Pac-12, because it's not just that, but, and I said, like, Washington State is probably going to make some crazy run and go undefeated in the Pac-12, and they have so far. I've been kind of right on that. But that's it just makes the Pac-12 look horrible when you have a team that's going undefeated so far in the Pac-12. Like Dan said, hasn't played the best teams yet, but they also lost. I mean, to that's Boise. the amazing thing. Only in the Pac-12. Like, look at the SEC, the Big Ten. Where do they schedule, you know, Alabama, LSU, or, you know, uh, Auburn, Alabama, or – you know, where did, or, or, or in the Big Ten, Ohio State, Michigan, do they schedule them in second week of the season? No. <laughs> but the Pac-12 puts, uh, you, I mean, uh, Washington State on a schedule where they don't have to play anybody. They don't play any of the top four teams until, you know, and they miss two of them, and they don't play the other two till the last two weeks of the season. So it's like, yeah, the Pac-12 set the schedule up, for Washington State. Oh, yeah, that's smart. That's really smart to set up a schedule like that. But, I mean, how do you get that lucky? Only in the Pac-12. Again, it's just rookie mistakes. I mean, there's no way 
Washington State should be where they are having not played anybody. I mean, how do you avoid the top four? It's the third week in November, and you're Washington State, and you haven't played any of the top four teams. Crazy. That's crazy. Well, we got two more topics. Um, so a bunch of people wrote in. Uh, we had Alex from Dothan, uh, Earl of West L.A., um, John, I'm sorry, no, uh, Mike uh, from Irvine, but he's currently in New Haven, Connecticut, and Ron in Utah, basically all about, you know, what happens. So the different scenarios, so, it, and Dan already kind of went over this, but basically right now, USC is a game behind Colorado, but owns the tiebreaker. And uh, tied with Utah, but does not own the tiebreaker. So USC needs to beat UCLA, the final league game, and USC would finish 7-2. and two. Uh, needs Colorado to lose a game, needs Utah to lose a game. Now, Utah and Colorado play each other next week, so at least one of them has to lose this weekend. Uh, and then. Yeah, I mean, and the problem there, though, is they can't have Utah win that game if Utah beats Oregon this week. So the chances of Oregon losing to Utah are probably, you know, are pretty good. So they almost need, you know, to thread the needle where Colorado gets beat by Washington State and Utah then gets beat by Colorado. I mean, that's, that's asking a lot. I mean, it, it certainly could happen. But, yeah. So it, it's, it's possible. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say probable, but that, you know, it, you're not, you're depending on what's going to happen. At least those teams losing a game. And of course, uh, USC winning. Now, if that happens, if that scenario happens, USC will go to the Pac-12 championship game playing, uh, looks like, you know, Washington or Washington State. And if USC wins that game, goes to the Rose Bowl. Now, the Rose Bowl, people are asking like, well, what if this, what if this happens? So what the Rose Bowl can do, if, uh, if say the winner of the Pac-12 championship game, Washington, if, so basically if Washington wins, they went out, they go 12 and one or whatever, then they would have a shot to be in the playoff. Um, and I kind of think they would, Dan, as if just the one loss to a resurgent USC team, if they end up going on to win and are 12 and one, they get picked into the playoff. The Rose Bowl could, will take the second, the next highest ranked, um, team as far as the college football rankings go, playoff rankings go in the Pac 12. Um, so. USC could potentially go to the Rose Bowl or one of the other Pac-12 teams. Uh, you just have to be the highest ranked there. So then that also depends you know, on. I don't even have. know if they're limited to the highest rank. I mean, say what, and I don't even know what, what the highest rank means. Uh, let's say, uh, uh, whoever loses, uh, in the Pac-12 championship game wouldn't necessarily be picked over USC. Uh, although at nine and three on an, uh, whatever, eight game win streak, USC might make it into the top 10 and there are ways they could get into the cotton ball or the fiesta ball. Even it's kind of amazing that those still might happen, but, uh, yeah, those are all, those are possibilities. And so that the thing is like, if USC made it to the championship game and lost, they wouldn't be able to go if Washington went because whoever goes to the championship game is going to get that extra loss, you know? So USC's best shot at the Rose bowl of not winning the PAC 12 would probably be, to not win the Pac-12, you know, South and keep moving up and have, you know, you know, whoever loses, uh, whoever loses Utah or Colorado, uh, they would be probably below USC because US, if USC wins out, 
And then, right. or or then USC gets if they get to the championship game and wins. Then well, yeah, you know they're in. Well, yeah, that, if you win, uh, like people are asking yeah. about the scenario of not winning the Pac-12 title and getting to the Rose Bowl. But I think Mm-mm. if you make the Pac-12 title game and lose, you can't get into the Rose Bowl. But if you don't, yeah. so basically Colorado or Utah is going to lose one game because they play each other. They would drop below USC. Now the winner yep. of that game would go on. If they lose to Washington, they would also lose a game and drop below USC. So if USC wins out, they're likely the next highest ranked um, Pac-12 team, in my opinion. You know, I, well, right. maybe and, Washington and if State. Washington, if Washington wins out, that will mean they've beaten Washington State at Washington State, and they will get credit for that. Yes, that will be a good win, and they didn't drop that much, so uh, they'll get credit. Uh, so. I think there are so many things that could happen. It's amazing with two weeks left how many things could happen and how how many things could happen in how many different places. But, you know, my ideal scenario probably would be uh, a Rose Bowl versus Michigan. Uh, Ohio State win that game and Michigan end up in the Rose Bowl. To me, that would be perfect. I just think that would be more than you could possibly hope from this season for USC. I mean, it just it wouldn't get any better than that to get Harbaugh and Michigan and, and have that in the Rose Bowl is the scenario you would think you'd be rooting for. And then, so like dad said, you know, USC's, you know, could get into the top 10. There could be a selection of a, you know, new year six bowl. If it's not the Rose Bowl, you know, like the scenarios we talked about, um, but also of the Pac-12 bowls, though, if that doesn't, if it doesn't go that way, the high, the next highest ranked Pac-12 bowl would be the Alamo Bowl. Um, right. So, so that would be most likely where USC would land. USC hasn't played in that bowl. Um, the Alamo Bowl now has some leeway. They can, you know, anyone within one loss or whatever, uh, one game, they could pick a different team, but you would think USC would be the most likely one. USC would probably be, you know, if they went out and don't make the championship game. They would be the highest ranked, you know, they would be the most desirable team after that. So, most yeah, we got the sense from the Alamo Bowl guys were there, uh, Saturday and they were there to see USC and they want USC. I mean, you got, you know, maybe the leading Heisman Trophy candidate for next year. And if you catch a USC team that's on a streak, uh, what's not to like about that? I mean, that, that, that would be a, a game that the Alamo Bowl people would, would just, kill for i mean that's that's as good as it gets as far as they're concerned yeah so it looks like if usc takes care of business where there'll be double digit favorites the next two weeks the the worst bowl scenario is the alamo bowl um so not too bad uh but obviously gotta take care of business all right one last uh question dan john and chatsworth he said ryan uh getting kids into the league is vital for recruiting and for the future success of the program with that being said can you give me Draft projections on Adore Jackson, Juju Smith, Zach Banner, Chad Wheeler, Stevie Tuikolovatu, and Michael Hutchins, and any other potential draftees in this class. Thanks for everything you guys do and fight on. John and Chatsworth. I think Adore will be in the first round. I just think, I mean, I think there has to be a team that, that wants a return guy and a, and a cover corner. I just think, uh, his, uh, you know, overall game and his attitude and his athleticism and all that projects him well. He, he'll interview well. Uh, he'll get nothing but, you know, good recommendations. So 
So I think, uh, you know, he gives you an added, you know, value for your pick. Juju, I'm not sure. With the, you know, the back issues certainly seem to be affecting him. Uh, he's young. Will that affect him or not? Uh, he probably hasn't been able to, you know, add to his speed this year with the, you know, the back issues and that. Uh, I mean, you see, uh, he's holding up in, you know, some of the drafts in the, in the first round. Uh, so, I mean, you've seen him as high as 13th. Uh, whether that'll happen, I don't know. I will say this, the Washington game clearly helped Zach. Zach was the highest rated offensive lineman in the Washington game, according to Pro Football Focus, who charts every single play. Chad wasn't far behind. So both of them had, had, uh, the kind of games you hope you would have in a big game where, you know, the Washington offensive line didn't really perform very well. So, so I think they look, you know, good, uh, and that'll be a game that the scouts will, will, you know, take a look at. I just don't know. I mean, uh, with, with Zach at 6'9, you know, there are probably teams that are worried about that and say, geez, I don't know, uh, um, and so where that, I, I, I don't even want to guess as to where, where, you know, where he goes. Uh, I don't think I know his goal was always to be a first rounder. I would think that probably doesn't happen, but, uh, I don't want to, you know, he's got still a bunch of games and, uh, we'll see where, where that goes. I think Chad will be higher than we thought he was going to be. Uh, can he go up to, you know, a third, fourth round? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Michael Hutchings, I think just size-wise, played a great game. On film, that game looks awfully, awfully good. But at 220 pounds, I'm not sure w- what position does he have. And, you know, does somebody take him as a, uh, you know, as a backup uh, linebacker and a, um, uh, a special teams guy and, and a character guy? Uh, one, you would hope that. Uh, his, his film from from that from the Washington game is sensational, so uh, maybe uh, it's a, a chance to finish out the year that way. I just think uh, size kind of works against him, uh, but it's not like that they're not finding places for for 220 pound linebackers. They are. Uh, you got to run really really well, and you know uh, if he gets invited to the combine, and he's one of those guys that. It's going to be interesting to see if he gets invited to the combine, and then uh, you know how does he run at the combine. But uh, uh, I don't think we have an absolute fix on on where these guys are going to go. It's kind of like this team; uh, you're just not sure where they're going to go. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, there's so much happens between now and then, and then you see how they do with the combine, and and even then. Who knows? <laughs> it's uh, it, it takes one GM to one a guy, and you just don't know. Is that going to happen in the second round, the third round? Not at all. Never thought Cody Kessler would go in the third yeah. round. You know, stuff like that. So That's the perfect example. Who knew? How wrong could everybody have been about Cody? And Cleveland, Hugh Jackson wanted Cody. You know, had his USC background, had always liked Cody, and said, I'm taking him. So you absolutely, you don't want to be too dogmatic about yeah, this is my prediction, and it's definitely going to hold up. We really don't know. All right. Well, Dan, hey, that was a pretty good one, man. We went an hour. <laughs> so yeah. many questions. We had, we had a lot to talk about. Underwear, too, but, you know, mostly about. football. <laughs> lot to talk about. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we'll see how to practice there in a little bit. USC okay. uh, 
getting ready for UCLA and then, of course, Notre Dame next week. We'll do some more shows for you this week. we got to do a lot of podcasts. So there's a lot to talk about. So we'll keep doing more. We still have a bunch more questions. So full show with Harvey Hyde, full show with Dan Weber, and we'll do more this week. But uh, that's Dan Weber. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.